0: Hello and welcome to the 33rd edition of the Travelling 2 podcast. I'm your host, Friedel. This week we're asking the question, how risky is bicycle touring? And what can you do to avoid one of the main dangers, traffic? For answers, we're talking to a cycle trainer in London. Adventurer Dan Martin also joins us to tell us how he dealt with risk on a bike tour that took him through places like North Korea, Iraq, and Nigeria. bicycle said the great american writer mark twain you'll certainly not regret it if you live when he penned those words mr twain was referring to his adventures learning to ride a high-wheeled bicycle in the 1880s if we fast forward about a hundred years the risks of bike touring are still a hot topic you see it debated all the time on the forums now i tend to be the kind of person that thinks bike touring is a pretty safe activity on the whole I've always gone on the theory that with a little common sense, you're not really at any more risk bike touring than you are staying at home, especially if you drive to work in your car every day. But I know that people do worry about different aspects of bike touring, and we did too before we started our trip. So for this show, I've tried to track down some people with tips on how to deal with different bike touring risks. Traffic is at the top of the list. When I ran a poll on the site in December, nearly a quarter of you said being hit by a car was your biggest concern about bike touring. And with that in mind, I turned to Cycle Training UK. Now, this organization is one that Andrew and I both took some lessons from before we started bike touring, and the advice that we got from them really made us into better and more confident cyclists. They took us out onto the road, they showed us how to deal with traffic, and we really feel that we were better off for it. Now, I know that not all of you will be able to get to London to go to bicycle school, but here's Jean Mowbray of Cycle Training UK, explaining some of the basics of safe cycling in traffic.
1: I think what's quite important before they actually hit the road is to make sure that their bicycle is roadworthy. Checking the brakes, the tire pressure, um, often a common problem is the tire pressure is not pumped up enough, uh, make sure their gears are changing smoothly. So first off, make sure your bike's ready for the road. On road, I'd say one of the most important things is the positioning, where you position yourself on the road. There are two main positions cycling in traffic. You can ride in the middle lane. That's what we call. We call that the primary position. So in the middle of the lane, you're actually uh, in the traffic uh, flow. So the name suggests the prime position is the default position you take. You're part of the traffic. You're very visible to drivers. You're you're riding in the stream of traffic. Why
0: is that important? Because I think uh, the instinct that a lot of people have if they're in a, a city environment or somewhere where there are a lot of cars is to pull over to the side so that the cars can get by. So doesn't it just make the drivers behind you angry if you're sitting in the middle of the
1: lane? No, most drivers, they want to see the cyclist. They want to know where the cyclist is in the road. They don't want the kind of a now you see me, now you don't sort of thing where people kind of weave in and out of the traffic. It's important that cyclists remember that they are traffic. They are traffic as well as much as a motorised vehicle, and they have as much right to be on that road as any other uh, road user. So that that's important. And if, if drivers get upset, they get upset. But you you have a right to be on on that road, and and you've a, you've a right to do yourself for your own security and safety to make sure that you're seen by everybody that's using that road. If the the, uh, person behind you wants to overtake, they they can wait until there's a break in the traffic and then they can overtake you.
0: Is there ever a point where you recommend just pulling over to let traffic by? I mean, for example, if you notice that you're holding a lot of cars up? or
1: There are times when you can move into the secondary position. So uh, that means you're not actually in the traffic flow. You can't keep up with the traffic flow, so you are moving in a little bit t- and the traffic behind you can overtake. Well, you have to do that. I mean, it's part of the whole kind of urban traffic uh, uh, dynamics. You have to make judgments. When, when can I keep up with the traffic? When should I be in the traffic flow, the primary position? When should I move to the secondary position and, and, and let the traffic behind me uh, easily overtake and, and not clog up the whole system? Um, I have to say in London, though, it's pretty good. It's pretty easy to keep in the primary position and keep up with the traffic, because um, in the city, it, it, the traffic tends to move quite slowly in some, in some areas, so in fact, sometimes it stops <laughs> quite a lot. You can uh, keep up with it quite well. I remember
0: hearing a statistic when I lived in London that the average speed in 1900 or so was about 11 miles an hour, and it essentially hasn't changed in the last 100 years.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically, we're still carts and horses over here, you know, we're, we're, we're still moving slowly. Going back to the positioning on the road, what's very important is that you make sure that you're actually, um, the door of a car is linked in, so if somebody actually opens a car car door, you're in no, no danger. So
0: we're talking about, what, a metre out from any parked cars that you might be riding alongside?
1: Yeah, in the secondary position, yes, absolutely. I see people in London and they're literally crawling by the kerb so they're there with all the drains and the grates and all the, the rubbish and the, the glass. You know, they're not doing themselves a favor. It's actually more dangerous. But no one can see them, and it's not a very good way to cycle safely around a city. Okay,
0: so number one is positioning. What would another thing be that people could do to improve their safety? Communicate.
1: So that means look behind you. Uh, every four or five seconds look behind be aware of what's happening around you behind in front be aware of the the traffic what's happening ahead signal your intention give lots of time to people behind make sure that they know what, where you're going signal make sure your signals are clear and make sure you there's eye contact between you and the person behind so the driver behind knows that you're there and that he knows that or she knows that you know, if you know what I mean, <laughs> and a wave and a smile. I mean, that's good. There's a lot of aggression and tension in the city, and sometimes, you know, just a wave and a smile, a thank you. Just, I mean, it helps everybody. And if you acknowledge all other road users, it's it's a great thing to do. And-,
0: and when you were saying to to look behind you and and be aware of what's going on around you, that reminded me of when I took one of your courses, and I remember before we even went out on the road, one of the exercises that I was told to do was to look behind me and still keep cycling in a straight line, and I found that incredibly hard. It surprised me how difficult that was.
1: That is that is hard. Uh, I mean, I remember doing it, doing that as well. And one of the tex- techniques we use, yeah, the the instructor, um, you know, sticks up three or four fingers or four, you know whatever, three fingers, and you have to turn around. You're squinting, thinking, I, you know, I. Well, how many fingers has he got up? You're using your waist. You're twisting around. You're making sure that you're not. You're still cycling in a straight line. And, you know, it comes with practice.
0: And I suppose a mirror would help immensely with that. Then you don't have to do the twisting.
1: No, because with a mirror, you're not communicating with the driver behind. You're actually just looking into your mirror. He doesn't know that you've actually seen him, that you're communicating with him. A mirror, we don't think they're such a good idea. Uh, It's much better to look behind and to get eye contact with the driver.
0: I found what Jean said about mirrors there a little surprising, because for us we felt that a mirror has literally been our lifeline in some pretty hairy moments. But I think she's got a good point about communicating too. Basically, you don't want to let your mirror be an excuse for not communicating with drivers. So those are a few tips from a cycle trainer. But bicycle touring is a little different from commuting in a big city. That's why I tracked down Dan Martin to answer some more questions about risks that we face when bike touring. Dan has taken on more risk than most of us in recent years. He's cycled from Korea to Cape Town and then from London to Cape Town, two big trips. And along the way he's taken in countries like Iraq and Nigeria. And Dan isn't done yet. His next adventure is going to be a global triathlon starting in May, where he plans to swim the Atlantic Ocean, cycle from France to the far east of Russia, and then walk across North America. The interview I did with Dan starts with his explanation of how he assesses risk.
2: I think risk is a it's a very subjective thing. And traveling to these, these countries, any, anywhere you go, um, there's risk. You know, it's, it's quite dangerous cycling in a, in a big city in America or in a big city in England. You know, you're probably far more likely to get, get knocked off your bike there than you would in, in, uh, in the outback uh, on your own. Um, I, I, I always try and make sure that I'm, I'm one of the most informed people of the area I'm, I'm going into. Um, so I, I do all my research on you know, our, our Foreign and Commonwealth Office website, and I you know, look on Lonely Planet and go through blogs, and I speak to people, and I, I take on all advice. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a gut reaction that, you, you know, you either know that you're going to make it or not. Um, there's there's so many naysayers, as you probably noticed from, from cycling anyway. If, if you say you're going to cycle past the shops, then people get scared and think, you know, you'll never make it. But um, I remember on the first trip, I cycled through Syria and I was petrified. You know, these people were different. You know, it was, I was outside of Europe and I hadn't got a clue what was going on. And um, just that turned out to be one of my favorite countries. You know, it's just the most hospitable people and kind of painfully hospitable. And I thought maybe if Syria was like that and Sudan was definitely like that on the first trip, maybe these countries that we see on the news... Maybe they're not all completely evil, and I think you know when when there was bombs and on the tube in London, you know I was perfectly safe up here in Peterborough. If, you, if you're not actively trying to find these horrible spots within the countries, I think you're you're, you're pretty safe. Yeah, you know, I had nothing really bad happen in any of these um, evil countries, but you know you go to you go to the tourist market in Tunisia and you get you get robbed. Egypt was was the same. I was cycling through Sinai, stopped to change my tyre got approached by this soldier, a young, young guy. I was changing my tire and he, he thought I was suspicious and, and put a gun to my head, basically. It was quite quite a, a fleeting moment. And as soon as he did it, I think he realised he'd, he'd done wrong and he kind of backed away and nothing really came of it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the touristy destinations that you want to worry about.
0: So what would you say to people who are out there thinking, well, now I'm never going to go bike touring. I mean, this guy got robbed in Tunisia, so I think I'll just
2: stay home. Yeah, well, I got robbed in Tunisia, but had nothing happened to me in, you know, Nigeria, Afghanistan, Iraq. I think the, the classic example I always quote is um, in Jordan. There's two routes through Jordan. You can take the King's Highway, which goes down through all the touristy bits. And, you know, you see some beautiful areas. Oh, well, there's the Desert Highway. And I've been through there twice. And I took the Desert Highway both times. And with the Desert Highways is you know, you meet the real people there, much more real than these these touristy, horrible touristy places that you, you find that attracts all these busloads of kind of elderly people. European tourists. And I I spoke to a guy who cycled down the King's Highway, a few guys who cycled down the King's Highway, and they have stones thrown at them and they get kind of revved up by cars and people hate them being there. And you go down the the desert highway and people are the friendliest people you ever find. You know, the two roads are within 20 or 30 miles of each other and yet it's kind of completely contrasting views on the world.
0: So, was there ever a point in your trip where you thought that you couldn't handle the risks involved?
2: I'd gone into northern Iraq. I didn't actually cycle into northern Iraq because I'd I'd got scared, but I I got in there and uh, I was staying in in the north in Arbil and I'd had a few beers with the, the, the hotel. I was staying at, and we were singing a few songs and whatever. And we went walking down the street, and then it just hit me that I was in Iraq, and I got into kind of these cold sweats and ran back to my hotel room and locked myself in there and uh, and panicked the whole night through. But I, it was it was irrational, but it's, it's something that's been inbred into me through all the media that I've seen over the last. 28 years. You can't not be afraid of going into these, these countries that all you've seen about them is, is bombs and, and guns and terrorists.
0: Obviously, from your stories, you're used to dealing with a certain amount of risk. So if you're up for it, I'd like to read you some of the more common concerns that cyclists have told us that they have and see what advice you have for them. Are you up for that?
2: I'll, uh, I'll try my best, yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to put you on the spot a bit. So we did a poll on the site and the biggest concern that people told us they had was traffic getting hit by a vehicle on the road or cycling in heavy traffic. Were there ever times where you felt that there was a lot of traffic and you had trouble handling it?
2: I've got several memories of uh, kind of horrible traffic-based places, but I think that the people see these images of, of kind of Lagos and Cairo and Istanbul where the traffic is just, you know, it, it's crazy. But I think as soon as you kind of start to understand that people are just trying to go, you know, push their way forward, and as soon as you kind of get the, the Western mentality of staying right in your little bit of lane and, and, you know, no one will hurt you if you don't hurt anyone else, um, as soon as you kind of take the, the road by the scruff of the neck, it becomes a lot more um, more fun and you, you kind of start to start to race the traffic and start to, to understand it a lot more. I, I know um, a lot of guys, they get it in their head that they, you know, they must cycle right on the, far, on the side of the road and that the cars are, you know, they're, 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 it's their road and we're just using a little part of it as far out as possible into the road just so that when a car comes up behind me, it has to slow down and overtake. And when I hear the beeping horns behind me, I'm, I'm kind of happy because it means they've seen me and they're slowing down. Whereas if you stay, if you hug the, the curb, the the car will come up behind you and you'll see there's there's just enough space to go through and it'll go through at 60 miles an hour. <clears throat> you make one wrong move, it clips your elbow and you, and you fall off, you know. It's, it's counterintuitive, but um, hogging the road a bit more is a, is a good idea. Um, and also don't be afraid to kind of take the traffic on. Do you
0: hold... True to that theory of taking traffic on even when there's a big semi coming up behind you, for example, perhaps in the developed world, not in the less developed world, maybe when you're cycling on a freeway
2: in the western world i I, I probably hate to, say, hate to tell you this i 'm not a big fan of cycling, and I probably would never cycle in the, in the Western world just because i 'm um, so afraid of of being hit by these these cars because the problem is if you if you you 're driving in the Western world in England or in America or Europe or wherever you don 't expect there to be a cyclist or a, or anything other than ordinary on the road, so you become a bit kind of switched off to it, whereas all these drivers in cairo and um kind of these horribly trafficked up areas they expect you know donkeys to walk out in front of them and footballs to be kicked at them and people just to walk in and out of the traffic and you know they're, they're constantly expecting all these hazards to happen and and you know they're they just uh, as, as a point of it. i think some of the best drivers in the world are these these kind of crazy taxi drivers in cairo and and, and what have you but um if you're cycling down a, a, a road in england people don't expect to see you you come outside they knock you off and and you know that's where i'd say most of the problems occur I'm
0: sensing a bit of a theme in your answers here that perhaps the places in the world that we think are safe and that maybe we're most tempted to go touring in are maybe containing hidden dangers that we're not really aware of. And the places in the world that we think of as a little bit scary maybe are actually more enjoyable for cycle touring. Would you say that's true?
2: I think um, there's a certain truth to that. Uh, I definitely think getting off the beaten track is uh, is, is where you'll have the most genuine experiences and and, and probably be the safest, I'd say. The problem with that is obviously your, you know, if something does go wrong, it goes very, very wrong. But the likelihood of something going wrong is is, is much less. You know, push your limits a little bit and and, and try and find these these slightly more out-of-the-way places and and you'll... You won't be any, any at any more risk than you are cycling through Chicago or, or New York.
0: The other thing that people told us is that they worry about finding a place to sleep at night because obviously when you're on a bicycle, it's not always possible to know exactly where the next campground or hotel is. So how do you deal with that when you're on the road? How do you figure out where you're going to spend the night?
2: I'm probably slightly different to most cycle tourists in that um, I always carry a tent and it's, it's my kind of last um, last resort, but I don't actually enjoy um, camping. Well, I quite enjoy camping, but I hate packing up in the morning and I hate cooking for myself. So I always try and search out um, people to, you know, I'd rather eat in a, in a small cafe than, than cook for myself. And I'd rather sleep on the floor uh, um, of a of a guest house than than camp in my tent. Um, I, th- I think wherever you've gone, people have gone before. Unless you're going, if you, unless you're just heading out into the desert, then I think there's always ways of kind of semi-planning ahead. I always had. Um, I'd look on the map and I'd look for the kind of distance I wanted to do during the day, and I'd look for a kind of uh, a good town to try and get to, and a difficult town to to try and push on through. So if I got if I was tired early on, then I'd just stop at the first one, or I'd push on to the next one. There's only been I can only think of really one time where I've I've really been getting dark and I've had to camp, and I think it's a, it's a lot more accepted in these third world countries than it is in in the US and in in Europe. If you went onto a farmer's land around where I live and and camped there, then the police would be there as quick as you like and and you'd be kicked off. But uh, it's a lot more accepting um, culture for traveling in in the third world, I find.
0: What was the strangest place you slept?
2: Um, I found out after I'd slept there that I was sleeping in a toilet. One of the the few times that I've camped by a, a truck stop. And I, I was told, oh yeah, you can put your tent up over there. And then when I woke up in the morning, because it, it was kind of dark when I when I when I'd set up, and I woke up in the morning, I saw there's all these little bits of toilet paper around me, and I kind of worked out that it was a uh, it was where they uh, relieved themselves of uh, the travel baggage. So I've stayed in some shocking places. I, I can remember one in um, Turkmenistan where I stayed uh, stayed on a on an earthen bed, and it was minus 25 outside, and just this the most the coldest night I've ever spent. But um, you know, it's, it's 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 things like that that I look back look back on, and I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proud that i've survived that night and got on you know you don't look back at the nights where you stayed in a in a hostel recommended by a lonely planet that you know you think wow I've, I've really you know survived that night
0: and what about dogs i know they're a constant source of debate among cyclists and most of us don't like them very much
2: i hate dogs honestly they're, they're the bane of my, my my cycling life other than wind i think dogs are the things i hate the most um i've been chased by dogs all over the place. I've got chased by a dog for about 10 miles in Uzbekistan. Um, but I've never been bit like they come near you. And I, th- I think I'm quite lucky. I'm, on both trips, I've had a, a trailer, a bob trailer. And they seem to go for that. And they've been, you know, I've, I've got bite marks on it. And they bite. They try and bite the wheel. But they tend to avoid um, me. I don't know whether it's because I'm big and ugly and smell. But um, they, they, they go for the trailer. There's quite a lot of debate. Some people use these um, sonar kind of high pitch whistles that, that scare them away. Some people stop and throw stones. Some people have a stick. Stopping is is probably the best way for, to get get rid of them, but I hate stopping because you've got to get going again, and the bike's always quite heavy. So I usually just cycle through, shout at them a bit, and um and keep going. But touch wood, I've never been never been bitten.
0: So Dan, after all your adventures, what kind of view do you have of the world?
2: Yeah, I think from from the countries I've been to, I I, you know, I can give a kind of general um, overview of the world, and it's kind of that there's there's some truly nasty nasty people out there, and I think it's it's probably about one in a million, but um. You know that's the same ratio I'd say in in the Western world as it is in in the Third World, um, and and most of what you'll find, you know, the vast majority of what you find is is kind of. Um, the most hospitable people. You, you go to a, a, a problem. I remember going through Iraq and Iran and they really, they, they understand what's happening in the West and they know that everyone thinks that they're evil and they're, they're terrorists or whatever and they, they actively go out of their way to try and welcome you in and you can stay as long as you like and they feed you and, and whatever. I remember coming to a town in Sudan and uh, I was quite tired. I just wanted to go to bed but um, the village elders turned up and the, the teachers from the school and we had this big chat and they said, oh, what's the What's your favourite thing about um, Sudan? And I said, well, I was just, I don't know, I was a bit tired. So I said the the Fanta. I really enjoyed the Fanta every every night when I had a drink of Fanta. Um, and they sent this boy off, and he ran to the next village five miles away and bought me back a Fanta. And I, I can't think of anywhere else in the world where someone turning up in completely foreign dress. If you picture someone turning up to your house in America or where or, or I live in England, in kind of traditional African dress or traditional Afghani dress, riding a tradition, you know, a, a foreign, a relatively foreign form of transport, and being welcomed into the community and kind of people. Fighting over, you know, who's going to give you the most hospitality and who who has the honour of putting you up. I think it's it's quite humbling the, the the way that they they treat me, who is essentially you know the people that are responsible for coming into their country and uh, you know doing what we want to do.
0: Dan, thank you very very much for joining us. I know that you've got your big adventure coming up in May. Is there a website where we can follow your journey?
2: Yeah, the uh, website is www.danmartinextreme.com, and I'm also on Twitter under Daniel Martin Adv, um, and it should be a, a pretty big trip and. Um, look forward to seeing everyone on the way
0: a big thanks to dan for taking time out of his training to talk to us that's it for this show i know many of you are waiting to hear the interview with Heinz stuka it's taken a bit of time to prepare but it's almost ready and i'm really hoping to bring it to you in the next episode until then i hope you enjoy getting out on your bike or planning your next tour drop me a line at us at traveling2.com i'd love to hear what you're mapping out in any case i'll talk to you again in a couple weeks time thanks for listening and goodbye